Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. On this edition, we're talking union hockey. And later on, we'll have interviews with Union men's head coach Rick Bennett and Union women's head coach Josh Skiba. Uh, Union right, beat writer Mike McGannon joins me now. Hello, Mike. Hey, everybody. How are you doing today? Well, it was an interesting uh, weekend last weekend up at the North Country. Uh, Union uh, had to come back three times to beat St. Lawrence in overtime. And then uh, maybe just a little too much against Clarkson getting shut out. Yeah, it sounds like from what, what Rick Bennett was saying today that the offense really just kind of like didn't show up on uh, – um, uh, Saturday against Clarkson, and one of their recurring problems that they have is they can't sustain any possession time in the offensive zone. They get tired, and they don't spend enough time in the O zone, and and it starts a domino effect where they, you know, they they just don't get good scoring chances out of that scenario. Uh, yeah, plus they were playing a Clarkson team that got upset the night before by RPI, so I don't think uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a, that to me was a stunner when I saw that. It was score. a nice little weekend for RPI, and um, you know. Which probably didn't help Union very much. I'm sure Clarkson was a little miffed that they, you know, about what happened on Friday and took it out on Union the next day too. But um, from what he said, it just sounds like the offense didn't show up, and and they certainly did on Friday, which was encouraging. Uh, yeah, see, against the last place team, St. Lawrence, but but it's a team they had they lost in overtime too yeah, here at Messer right. Rink. So I mean, that's the second time they scored five goals in a game this year. The fact that they had to do it, you know, come back and they were you know down. He gave us some power play goals, but ended up getting a power play in overtime to win it. Yeah, I think what he what he said is kind of rings a little true too. When he said, you know, when you get one or two in the North Country trip, it's a good trip. But it's not a great trip. And I think the fact that they scored five goals in a game against no matter no matter who it came against is an encouraging sign for them. They've done it twice in the last uh, I don't know, it was five or six games or so. Um, so. Starting to see some signs that they can put the puck in the net, and then of course Saturday they, you know, they dropped an egg. Yeah, so literally, yeah. So um, yeah, this weekend it's they're um, actually Union's now done with the North Country teams for the regular season. Now the Central New York teams come to uh, Messerink starting uh, Friday night with Colgate. Uh, Colgate team would kind of uh, surprising me. They're they're two games under five hundred overall, but their uh, league record they are. Um, Five, Eight, two, five, and five two and one, tied for fifth place with Dartmouth, uh, and have two games in hand with a lot of the teams in the in the conference right now. There's only two, I think, that have eight, and everybody else has some ten, or there's a few with nine. So yeah, I mean, uh, they've they've um, they're only three points out behind uh, both Cornell and Clarkson for first place. I mean, Don Devon, he's been around the block once or twice. I mean, he just he gets his teams ready to play. And I mean, I this is, I, mean, I, I I was a little shocked, and I was actually when we got the game notes. Uh, on Wednesday before the, uh, the media availability, that this team is 5-2-1-1 in the league. Like, where's that coming from? I mean, they're only, they're only a plus four in a goal differential in league play. Uh, I mean, and a minus and seven overall. Quite, and, and, right, and which leads me to one of my kind of interesting little things. Let, let's play the old common opponent game. And that, that plus four came in 5-1-1 win in, in uh, over Dartmouth the same weekend that Cornell got beat by Dartmouth. Uh, two to one. So, it, it, you know, if we played the common opponent game, uh, Colgate showed up that weekend and Cornell. It, granted, the Cornell game against Dartmouth, and this was back in the first uh, uh, weekend in uh, December. So it'll be five weeks ago, you know, by the time we get to this weekend. But 
Uh, interesting thing, uh, Cornell outshot Dartmouth 5 uh, 40 to 17, including 21 to 5 in the third period. And there was no scoring from either team after the 45 second mark of the second <laughs> period. So it was a very strange game where Adrian, I hate to get your harp on Dartmouth a little too much here. Adrian Clark had 39 saves. I just thought it was kind of interesting that the number two team in the country currently got beat by Dartmouth. And then um, uh, a night after Colgate had just absolutely run uh, Dartmouth five to one. So I think that gives you a little, it gives you a little indication that Colgate's got some things going for them. And as Rick Bennett said today, <laughs> it's always a hard hitting game against them. And Don Vaughn always brings his teams in there ready to play. So that's yeah. what I think what we should expect on Friday. Yeah. Looking at the stats, they have three players uh, tied for the uh, lead in scoring on, on the Colgate team, a Colton Young, a freshman with seven goals and five assists, uh, Bobby McMahon, a senior forward, and also another senior forward, Ben Sharp, each have six goals and six assists on the season. Getting some good goaltending, uh, Mitch Benson, 2.38 goals against average in 14 games, a sophomore, and another sophomore, Andrew Farrier, uh, 1.87 goals against average and a 9.36 save percentage. So they're getting some good goaltending, and Union's got to find a way to, to beat that. Yeah, which they've struggled with. And, and the other thing is, and you, you mentioned already a little bit, is they're, they're doing their damage in the ECAC. They're, they're under 500 overall, but their last seven games that, you know, they've, uh, they're, they're four and three, but the three losses are out of conference, Northeastern and two, two games at Ohio State. Um, meanwhile, they've beaten Quinnipiac, Princeton, Dartmouth, Harvard in their last, uh, last four ECAC games. So they're, you know, they're, they're right in there, and they're one of the ones you're going to have to, to beat to, if you're going to do anything in this conference right now. And they lost at Ohio State uh, a couple weekends ago, uh, 3-2 loss that they had a lead in, and then they were shut out uh, 3 nothing. Ohio State, a nationally ranked team this year. Also, that's five of the last games they played, so uh, maybe Union can take advantage of a little rust if Colgate had last weekend off. Yeah, I guess theoretically that could be the case. Um, you know, Union – had kind of their own little holiday break there too and got back into it recently. Um, so we'll see about that. But, um, you know, it's, we're finally into the bulk of the ECAC schedule and, and uh, it's still early, but you don't want to leave a lot of points on the table no matter what point in the season you're at. And, of course, on Saturday, uh, number two ranked Cornell comes in and they're just a, just a yeah. dangerous team. That's gonna, that could be yeah. ugly. <laughs> it really could be. And, and, you know, they have a, a wonderful goalie in, in Matthew Galina. And we talked to Rick Bennett this afternoon a little bit about um, uh, Morgan Barron uh, for uh, for Cornell, who uh, is a junior now, a New York Rangers draft pick, and and um, he actually, from a from a stat standpoint, he didn't really do a lot in the series, uh, the three game series at Cornell last year in the quarterfinals of the ECAC, but. Um, you see him out there, and he's impossible not to to notice and pay attention to. He's big, he's fast, he's got all the skills. Um, Rick Bennett made an interesting comparison to former Dutchman Jeremy Welsh, and um, he said he's just just a man out there. Um, uh, the, the Providence player Jack Dugan that he brought up, he said he's the best player that he's seen so far, like a ready-made pro. But he's interested to see uh, uh, Baron uh, this weekend because uh, he he categorizes him the same kind of 
player who's who's a ready-made pro, and he's going to be a, a real handful. Six foot three, two hundred seventeen pounds. That's a big yeah. boy. <laughs> yeah, and you know he's got seven goals, but again, they haven't played a lot of games. I think they've only have eleven games or twelve. They're they're eleven one and one, whatever they are. So um, he's been productive and, and does a lot of stuff for them. Somebody you really have to account for. Well, coming up, uh, Union Men's Head Coach Rick Bennett met the media on Wednesday. I'll have uh, his, uh, what, he, what he said in just a moment. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hey, pro football fans. It's time again to match wits with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com slash football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week, and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook, at dailygazette.com slash football. Back on the Bunny Shots podcast, along with Mike McAdam, I'm Ken Schott. Union men's head coach Rick Bennett had his weekly media availability on Wednesday. He spoke about last weekend's games at St. Lawrence and Clarkson, and he looks ahead to Friday's contest against Colgate at Mesa Rink. So how would you assess last uh, weekend, I mean, to come back against St. Lawrence and then, you know, a tough loss against Clarkson? Well, anytime you go on that North Country trip and you come back with uh, one, it's a good trip, just not a great trip. Um, I didn't think we had our best against St. Lawrence until until the third, and really the guys really kind of you know turned it up a notch, which was nice to see. Uh, I think they were rewarded finally, just kind of stuck with it with the power play that night, and you know it was a nice uh, just, just a nice goal by Chaz Smezrud. So um, and then the next night, Ted. It was a kind of a, a tale of if you don't sc- if you don't score on the power play, you go for six. We were in and out quickly in our ozone play, so it kind of taxed our legs, and just didn't think we had enough energy to really kind of with, withstand the 60 minutes. Although we although we did outchance them, um, we just we just didn't find the back of the net. With less than less than two months left in the regular season. Is it crunch time now? Or is it too early for crunch time? Nah. We only got six home games left. Well, we haven't done a lap around our league yet. Right. Well, that happened so, so I can't. Oh, we still haven't played uh, Harvard or Dartmouth. Yeah, that's right. You're right. So, no, I'm not going to say it's crunch time. That's uh, we, we don't need to put any more added pressure on these guys, and they already probably feel at times um so no we're just honestly there's good signs but again it's just going to be a a work in progress and you never know when it clicks you guys have used loss on the forward line recently how long has that plan been kind of formulated when why'd you pull the trigger lately to to use him in that way ah because we had one of our forward go down um so when we were playing 7D that night, so Voss was the guy that uh, went went up front. So we give it a shot, and <laughs> so stay tuned whether or not he's he's back on D or back on forward. He's just gonna have to be a, a hybrid guy the rest of the way. Who got hurt that he was 
in Portland? Uh, Ferris. Okay. Ferris was out the second night. Any assessment on how Voss did there, and what can you say about the adjustment of a player like him? He's played D-line for the whole, his whole career here, all of a sudden he's sure. in that position. Yeah, the assessment was uh, he scored. Uh, so, <laughs> so kudos to, to him and his line, you know, for that because that gave us the tie versus you know at, at you know versus Providence. Uh, Cl um, Clarkson, it was you know, it wasn't like you know, it was just kind of blah. Like it wasn't, I mean, blah is the right word. Just didn't, just didn't have enough, and it wasn't it wasn't Voss. It was it was all of us <laughs> up front. When you're getting to the point where you're considering pulling a D guy up, does he kind of have the skill set where he's the no-brainer guy to, to pull the trigger on that move? Yeah, he's he's one of them. We've done it with Fletcher Feynman. Right. Yeah. Remember that. Maybe we should just uh, pluck a, a D uh, up there every game, rotate one, because every time they do, they seem to score their first their first times <laughs> going the forward. So maybe we're on to something here. Might have find a Red Kelly Jones, the defensive forward. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's ironic. We used to, uh, I talk about that with our staff. It'd, it'd be nice to have like a, a hybrid type of player. Um, our former volunteer Aaron Bogosian was one of the best I've seen at St. Lawrence when 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 he played. He was very good. So it's a lost art because a lot of forwards just can't skate backwards. So um, or, you know, so it's a little it's a little different. When you talk about the work in progress. And you've talked about that a lot this year. Being January eighth or whatever it is, how much of a, has it progressed, like in the last month till now? I like to. We'd like to feel that we we have made a stride. Uh, some to the visible eye, people can't see because uh, you know they just judge it by your record, which is fair enough. That's that's the racket we're in. Um, but yeah. Talking to other coaches, you know, the last time I checked, we didn't get pumped by Clarkson. We were much better, but not to our standards. We didn't win, but I do think we're making we're making strides. We're we're in these games. We are in these games. Where earlier, as you guys saw, we weren't. What has to happen? To get, I mean, what what do you guys have to do on the ice? We have, to, we, we have to be consistent. We, as we talked about earlier, that has, which hasn't changed. The margin of error this year is, is, is really slim. So we have to be consistent in all areas of our game. And that, to me, is, as I said before, that is, that's tough. I, I read box scores and, and, and listen to coaches and players from the NHL. They have a tough time doing it. What, what, what makes you think that we're not? So, and the best teams are consistent. And until we figure that out, it's going to be up and down. We know a lot, you know, Cornell, obviously, one of the top teams in this league, number two in the country. Colgate, overall record, two games below 500, but, you know, surprisingly, 5 2 and 1 in conference play. I mean, yeah. is this a team you really can't sleep on? I mean, no, not at all. They're sort of an under, -radar, under the radar team this year in the league. Yeah. <laughs> We've, like I said, we haven't seen everybody, but I've watched everyone on film and just got done watching these guys a few games, and they beat Harvard, uh, which which was an excellent team um, at that time with their record. Um, and I was really impressed with, with Colgate. 
Um, I'll watch Cornell a little bit later in this week, but I just focus on Colgate at this point, and I was really impressed. Always have been. They always compete hard. A Donnie Vaughn team is always going to compete, always, and that's what makes for a fun game. Um, you know, some of these time these games are hard hitting, uh, borderline chippy, which is fine, um, and you just have to be prepared for that. You have to be ready to battle, and that's. Hopefully that prepares us for the next night. You didn't happen to watch their Dartmouth game by any chance, did you? I did not. Okay, I'm just curious because they had a weird weekend against Dartmouth. Cornell got beat 2-1, but they outshot them like 40 to yeah. 17. Like I said, I were, I'm just, we're just so focused on Colgate. You know, the staff is focusing on uh, Cornell, but I'll watch it later within the week. So many guys that weren't here last year, but there are still some little holdover, hold, holdovers, obviously, from the end of last season. You have to worry about them having a little bit of grudge about Cornell being the team that ended their season and the way it went down and all that stuff at all. No, I really don't. No. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's just so much new that <laughs> these guys can't remember what they did yesterday, never mind worrying about what, what, what happened last year. So... We're just, like I said, focused solely on Colby. Morgan Barron, you saw, got an eyeful of him last year. Is there any indication that he's gotten better? I know you haven't seen him yet this year. but uh... I will say this. I have seen him on, on, on tape early, and I've always been a big fan of him. Uh, I, I thought the Jack Dugan kid from Providence was the best kid I've seen so far. And i got to tell you, Watching Morgan Barron live last year, it's uh, I didn't think that was possible to find a guy better than him. Um, and but, so I'm really curious to see him up up live and in personal here again because he is a fun player to watch. You know he's he's a pro. He's an absolute pro hockey player right right now. And we don't be honest with you. I've only seen a few of those this this year. He is definitely to me. One and two, at this at this time, at this time. Does his game remind you of anybody in the NHL? It reminds me of uh, the old days of, of Jeremy Welsh. Okay. That's well, who it reminds me of. When Jeremy, I'll speak more in Jeremy's junior year. I just thought he was a man. At times, playing playing with boys, he really was. I, it was it was fun to watch, and you guys all watched him. Uh, that's probably the closest comparison that I can give, you know, to Baron. Anything else? Well, as we mentioned earlier, Rick did not seem down about the North Country trips, uh, and then I, mean, I, he, I think you were trying to ask about Cole Cornell, and he was like, he's not really worried about Cornell right now. He's looking ahead to Colgate, but you know, they have to obviously focus. I mean, if the Union's going to win a game this weekend, it's got to be against Colgate. Yeah, and, and part of that, too, was he hadn't really looked at tape of Cornell yet, so he's kind of going off of more of what they had already, you know, gotten a head start on scouting. Obviously, Colgate's the earlier game, so they, they're concentrating on them a little bit more. Um, one interesting twist uh, recently was that, that it was intriguing was them using uh, Vascolias, who's been a defenseman since since he came to Union, um, Granted, a, a very uh, fast skater and a good stick handler. Um, uh, it's kind of necessity when they were playing against Providence and, and uh, freshman uh, Owen Ferris was hurt. 
during the game. So they, they kind of on the fly, they said they, they were running seven defensemen that night. They let's let's put Voss up front and try him. And it worked. He scored yeah. the tying goal in a 1-1 game. Now, uh, Ferris was back in the lineup uh, for the next game, St. Lawrence, but then he didn't play against Clarkson. So so they tried it with Coleus again, and that didn't work out so no, well. No, no. <laughs> There's a little bit of what I'm going to write about for, um, you know, Friday's preview. Um, but it was just kind of interesting that they're maybe they're hooker by – and we talked about a, this a little bit in the last podcast, just more speculative, and, and now they've actually done it uh, again. And uh, so it kind of shows that maybe they're going to tinker with some things to, to generate some offense. Um, so it will we'll be very interesting when they when they uh, put out the line charge on Friday to see where he is. Well, coming up, Union Women's Head Coach Josh Skiba talked about his experience as an assistant coach for the United States Women's Under-18 team, which won the gold medal at last week's World Championship. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Back on the Party Shots podcast, Union Women's Head Coach Josh Skiba missed last weekend's games at Harvard and Dartmouth, but he had a good excuse. He was an assistant coach for the United States Women's Under-18 team, which beat Canada in overtime to win the gold medal at the World Championship. Here's what he had to say about that. <laughs> so Josh, uh, talk about winning the gold medal, uh, how thrilling it was, especially winning it in overtime the way you did. Yeah. <laughs> from last year? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was an unbelievable experience. I think um, being part of that, you know, being very fortunate to be part of it for two years, winning silver the first year, um, you know, winning gold was just kind of the icing on the cake for the whole experience. You know, the travel to Vienna, to Bratislava, being around the staff, the the players. I mean, that team was, was pretty special this year. You know, I mean, just those kids are going to, to great schools. They're going to be great players in college, um, but they're just good people. And I think um, you know, that team, just seeing how they came together from pre-camp, from the summer, from the fall, how they started playing, how they gelled as a unit um, was really, really special. And I knew uh, when we got to overtime, we killed off a huge four-on-three penalty. And uh, you could just feel from the group that, that we weren't going to lose that game. And I thought it was a very special, uh, special, special group that, that really was high in confidence and just believed in each other. It was really cool. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, hearing the national anthem and um, after that game and, and winning gold was, like I said, just icing on the cake. It was awesome. Did you get a medal? Or? Got a medal. Got a medal, yeah, where, everything, where yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, we left it at home. I think my daughter was wearing it. She's enjoying wearing it around the house. So um, it was pretty fun. It was pretty cool. How did the opportunity afford it to you when you first got the opportunity last year to, yes. get, to get this 
Um, so I got a phone call at that time. It was from uh, Reagan Carey. She was the director of women's hockey at USA Hockey. Um, she actually uh, asked if I wanted to be part of, of the staff. And I know uh, Moore Crow, who's the head coach at Minnesota Duluth, uh, actually asked me to be part of the staff as well. So um, I think those two had a really big uh, piece in that and really inviting me to want to be part of that staff. And then um, this year, again, just, you know, Moore asked me to, to be part of the staff again. And um, they've got Katie Million, who's now the USA Hockey Director, a little bit different there, but still the like, same opportunity. And um, it's really hard to say no to those opportunities. You know, it's time away from this team, which is unfortunate, but um, it's really hard to, to not want to represent our, you know, my country. Is it two weeks? Uh, about two weeks, two and a half weeks, two holidays, you know, New Year and, and Christmas and, um, you know, was away from, from my family for a little bit, but totally worth uh, the experience for sure. You want to be head coach of this one of these days? I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, eventually, I mean, just being able to, to represent your country at that level. I mean, um, you know, like the players, I think they want to play for their country. I think as a coach, I mean, that's the pinnacle for coaching, right? And, um, you know, maybe one day if I can get into the Olympics and be part of that staff, that's definitely a goal of mine for sure. What specifically was your responsibility on this team? Yeah, so it kind of changed and evolved through the process. Last year, um, I was more of a defensive coach, did more of the PK. Um, you know, evolved into this year at the start of the summer and in our series against Canada, I was more of a forward coach uh, and then went back to for world championships, went back to like a defensive coach, back to PK, um, did a lot of the video and preparation pregame. Um, you know, we each kind of had our own little niche, but I think uh, the staff was just super close, and I thought we all worked really well together. Um, I had a ton of fun with all those coaches. They're great people. Meredith, Mora, Brianna Decker, who's an Olympian, that was one of our staff members as well. I mean, just, you know, the, the things that you learn from those people as well is, is, is unbelievable. Is there a lot of roster turnover on a team like this? It's pretty strict, narrow age. Yeah. Yeah, we we had I think three kids that were on that team for three years. Um, you know, we've had a couple of kids that are two year members, and um, a good chunk of kids that were that were the first time, um, including a couple fifteen year olds, which was uh, pretty special to try and, try and see those kids develop and, and go throughout that process too. That it will probably be uh, three year players. So um, yeah, kind of a mix of experience, but I felt like we had a good mix of of the right people in that locker room, which is cool. How did this team respond when they when you got back and saw them for the first time? Great. I mean, they're I mean they're super uh, you know super happy. I know they were watching the game, uh, the gold medal game when they got to uh, Harvard. They went to our student manager's house. They caught the last piece, probably the best part of the game. Um, so yeah, I mean these kids were extremely happy. Um, all said congratulations. I mean just um, you know we have a great group, so they're obviously appreciative of the fact that I was able to get that opportunity too. I know you weren't around this past weekend with the team, but we. Still- 50 years I've covered hockey, I've never seen a team get a penalty shot on a too many players on the ice penalty. Yeah. Has there been any explanation as to in the game against Dartmouth what why that happened? So I guess the rule the rule states is if someone jumps off the bench in that situation, the other team has a choice between a two-minute power play or a penalty shot. And Dartmouth actually chose the uh, penalty shot, um, and they converted. And also in that situation, uh, if that situation arises, which is the first time I've ever seen it maybe in my entire career playing, coaching, whatever, uh, there's also a 10-minute misconduct assessed to our team too for the too many men trying to negate a breakaway 
and uh, I understand why the rules in place completely you know like you don't want someone just like that situation that's probably the perfect situation coming off to extra men on the ice to try and negate that breakaway or scoring chance and that's what they're trying to get rid of so um, totally understand the 10 minute uh, misconduct it was just you know kind of unfortunate someone that that is in the box there for 10 minutes that's one of our you know highly offensive players and you know we lose her for about 10 minutes so that was kind of unfortunate does Darby get to choose which player or um, I don't think so. I think it was just, I think it was really the person that came off the bench and they really just took Grace was the one that came off on the change and I think they took that person. Do you get any kind of recruiting benefit from coaching on this team USA? You know, I would say, yeah, we've had conversations with, with different people that uh, maybe haven't been part of the actual team yet, but are, are part of that process or at least interested in having conversations, um, you know, and, and getting to campus here to, to see what union's about and to see how, uh, how we're coaching our athletes, you know. So I don't know if it's actually come to fruition where we've actually capitalized on some of those opportunities, but certainly we're having conversations with recruits, um, and we're hoping that it does continue to help. You know, anything that we can do to help union continue to, to promote our brand and make this program here at Union a lot better. That's what we're striving to do. Yeah, I was going to say, even if it's not directly with the kids that you're coaching yep. on that team, it's got to be a good resume, uh, you know, bullet point for you to be able to say, hey, our program is represented. Correct. Nation. Yep, and that's and that's reflective of our whole product. It's not just, you know, I'm lucky enough where I get to be able to be the person that, that does that stuff, but I think... Um, how, how we're coaching those athletes or how I'm coaching those USA athletes is the same way our staff is coaching our players here, right? So it's just a, an extension of what we're actually doing here at Union. What do you use as selling points when you're out recruiting in general and has it changed in your short time here? I mean you know, I think the biggest thing that we sell first and foremost, I mean, the school sells itself. It's a tremendous school. The education that you're going to get here is phenomenal, right? The trimester system is unique and probably, like, not a lot of other places. You know, the kids get an opportunity to take three classes a semester. Um, you know, you get some days where the kids don't have class. You can really focus on hockey. Uh, but they're very diligent with their time. You know, we have a huge chunk from Thanksgiving to the New Year where they're, we're able to just have more of, like, an NHL type of schedule. Um, and then they have a spring semester where the kids can also study abroad, which is a huge selling point, especially to the females. They love that opportunity to be able to do that within the school year. I think the small class sizes, small campus really appeals to a lot of people, especially in Canada, North America, where kids are coming from small towns. Um, and I think the other thing is just opportunity. You know, we have an opportunity here where we have a program that's trying to grow and get better. And we're not, you know, we're still not there yet, but we're, uh, we're getting there. And I think people want an opportunity. They want to come and play Division One hockey. They want to play at a program that's growing. And they want to come in as a freshman and make an impact. And that's kind of what we're trying to sell to a lot of recruits out there right now. Speaking of the trimester thing, do you have any examples of kids that you were recruiting where you brought that up and they were like, wait, really? That's the way you guys operate there? And how is that? Yeah, I think it, it just it goes back to I mean we're we're big believers and we want kids that want to be here at Union, you know. And I, I can't think of I mean there's plenty of examples where you know when you bring that up maybe it's not appealing to kids and maybe those kids end up at bigger schools, Big Ten schools, um, kids that just don't appreciate the trimester system or those small class sizes in general. And um, certainly we're going to lose kids to those situations, but again those kids aren't made for Union, right? This is a special, unique place, and um, kids have to want to be part of that unique environment and I think we've capitalized on the kids that want to be part of that and you know in our recruiting philosophy we're willing to, to take kids that are you know maybe four or five on our list if they're really appreciative and they really have a high passion level for what union's all about. Anything else? Okay. Thanks, John. It was a big deal for our union and uh, Josh Skiba winning that uh, gold medal. I mean they won the silver last year and then 
I mean, it's got to be a good recruiting tool. Yeah, I asked him about that this afternoon, and whether he it, it, whether it generates any um, connection he can have with the current players on that team is immaterial. Um, you know, it's a nice little resume bullet where people are going to see the union name. They're, they're going to maybe do a little research on who was on this team. Every time they dig that stuff up, they're going to see Union College, and it's a nice feather in the cap of the school, and and certainly something he can lean on. Uh, you know that. that, that shows a little more widespread influence that they have in the general women's hockey world. Um, so it, it, he, he didn't really say that it would have really too much impact on any, you know, he knew all the kids on the team and anything. So I don't think we ex- expect to see any of them in Schenectady <laughs> no. anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of shows his influence and then he's got his hand in things and, and he's out kind of, it's almost like a networking thing to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can't hurt. That's for sure. Yeah. I asked him, I know, like I said, in, in, before the interview, it was like he was not at last weekend's uh, games. The one game at Dartmouth, I've never in my life, in the f- almost 50 years I've been in, you know, nearly 50 years covering and watching hockey, never seen a team get a penalty shot with the too many players on the ice call. This happened late in the first period. Um, <laughs> Dartmouth got a penalty shot and scored on it and then ended up not only getting, getting a goal, it, it turned the tide of the game, ended up, you know, you was leading 3 nothing at the time late in the first period and then really turned the tie of the game and Dartmouth ended up rallying the tie of the game. Um, and then Grace uh, Heiting ended up getting a 10-minute contact. I mean, that's it. I mean, you know what? I don't blame her. She yeah. was probably out about something. But, yeah, I mean, it seemed like very unusual well, I think, circumstances. Yeah, the way he explained it well, you know, kind of made sense. Yeah, I think, so. he, I think he explained that uh, mm-hmm. it was an automatic misconduct for the player that went out. So, I mean, I, that's right. – I've never – that's just – yeah, we're not trying to project that she. Uh, no, that's, that's what that's what I, that's what I first when I saw the box score last Saturday over here. It's like, how do you, I mean, how do you get a penalty shot for too many players with this? Is that the new rule? But uh, it was that's weird. But uh, yeah, you learn something new in this game every day. So, um, well, we're gonna open up the Union Mailbag next, and then wrap up the podcast. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Castbox. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Jim Schultz. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. It's time to open up the, the Union Hockey Mailbag, Mike. Um, I was interested uh, post on the Union College Hockey Fans Facebook page uh, by Jackie Morgan Capes. Uh, in case you may, I know a lot of Union Hockey fans do know this, but if you don't, uh, the, the school is not – did not send Matt Dubray and Brian Unger, the play-by-play and analyst uh, of the Union Hockey team, on the road this season. Uh, it's an effort to save money, and they plus they feel the game is being uh, televised and streamed on uh, by ESPN three, uh, plus, plus. That yeah. that uh, there really wasn't a need to um, send those guys on the road. So um, Jackie posted, "I really miss Matt and Brian at the away games. Big loss." Um, Linda Schwab Gardner's agree with that. Um, I, I, to me, I think the college is just trying to save money and by, by not, well, they, they flat out said that yeah. the analytics show that it's not worth it for yeah. them to do it. Um, the bottom line suggests that it doesn't, it just doesn't pay. I mean, certainly is a, is a sour note for anybody like, including us, not just fans, but us trying to keep track of the team when they're on the road. 
I will say I did get a chance to listen to the link that they supplied for uh, Ogdensburg uh, radio feed um, for the St. Lawrence game, and it was kind of it was I was thankful for the for the presence of that, so I could keep track of the game in a better sense than just you know tracking the the box score. <laughs> but you know, the gentleman was in some sort of like soundproof booth, and there was no <laughs> rink sound, whatever yeah. penetrate. I was I was almost waiting for him to supply his own sound effects, like, you know, clacking two sticks together or something like that. But, but I mean, he did a great job. I'm not, not trying to, yeah. I mean, there's no indictment of that at all. It was just seemed kind of unusual. I can't remember the last time I listened to a broadcast where there was no like external noise getting into the microphone. So yeah, that was kind of interesting. Well, Rob Dixon wrote, uh, can any possibility that some loony part of the agreement between union and TV people? No, I, cause they went last year and they were doing the games, uh, streaming the games on ESPN Plus last year has had really nothing to do with the um, agreement with the uh, ESPN Plus people. Um, Peter Grux wrote, I am guessing that it is not uh, – It is. Uh, I think the Garnet Blades would have picked up the tab. Uh, maybe they should. Maybe they. Maybe who should pick it up? The Garnet Blades. Uh, oh. Uh, Jack, yeah, I'm not going to try to speak for them. <laughs> no, I'm not going to try to speak to them either. Um, you know, Greg, um, let me post one here. Patton Rhodes uh, wrote, it's hard to believe that the campus can't find two eager students to do radio and broadcast all the games on WRUC, which is the uh, Union College radio station, mm -hmm. and for years um, did have people doing uh, games. I mean, that's where Brian Unger first started back in the early 90s. Um, you know, um, he, he said he gladly earmarked his annual alumni donation to that. Uh, Eric Hornick uh, says, amen. Other than meeting my wife, my fondest union memories were calling over 100 hockey and 30-plus football games on WRUC. Um, I think you're in, we're in an age now where I don't know if the students are interested in broadcasting. It's, it's a different world. Yeah. I mean, everything's streaming and this, you know, social media and stuff like that. I mean, that, there was an interesting story in Sports Illustrated a couple of years ago where athletic departments, and these, this is at, like, the big one, gigantic, you know, football factories and Jocko schools and where they have these multi-gazillion dollar budgets and everything where they're investing in um, actual programs and students and positions that are just basically social media um, savvy and just pumping a ton, ton of stuff like that. And it's more of a recruiting tool than anything else. It's not really for informing the public. So I think, I mean, not, I'm 50, I just turned 57. I'm not trying to speak for uh, college age kids, but I think that's kind of like what, what they're, gravitating more than being like a live broadcast kind of thing. Well, I, I was in college radio for four years at York College of Pennsylvania from 1981 to 85. And uh, I was program director of our AM station for about two, almost two years. And one of the requirements is to, if you had a shift during a, one of the basketball games, we broadcasted, you had to, you know, run the board. And, you know, we, sometimes it was a little tough to get some of those good people to do, but you did it because that was part of your shift. And, yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to find you know, if people are willing to sit there for two hours, uh, two and a half hours to just, you know, run the board and uh, make sure the broadcast is getting out over the air properly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know a lot about that sort of that technical side of that kind of stuff. So I don't know really what the time commitment is. But uh, and tracing back to what I was just saying, I, you know, just from a technical standpoint, it probably doesn't carry a lot of appeal and, and people. People digest media a lot differently these days, and, and um, you know, you, 
probably indicated by the people that are complaining about the lack of the radio feed. I'm per, I'd love to see a, a demographic on how, you know, what the mean age of those people are. I mean, we're approximately the same age and we certainly yeah. miss it. So yeah, I remember back, back you know, during the championship run, it was on 1240 WPTR. And um, so you know, don't even have the radio anymore. It's just, it's either on the web or you're at to depend on uh, the visiting team's uh, website to mm-hmm. watch the game. So, uh, well, great, good to get to speak about that. And, uh, uh, we're always happy to take your questions for the Union Mailbag. Uh, if you'd like to submit a question or a comment, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. We can look for my weekly ECAC hockey face-off selections at dailygazette.com, slash sports, slash parting shots. You can participate in the face-off selections by emailing your picks to me at shot at dailygazette.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. Uh, Mike, thanks for doing this once again. We'll do it again next week. Thank you for having me. We'll be back next week. All right. The Party Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Follow us on social media. I'm at Slapshots on Twitter and Instagram, and Mike is on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. The views expressed on the Party Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. For Mike McAdam, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. For the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good hockey.